Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy, Allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to Condensed Histories, the podcast that takes pop culture and reveals the real history behind it. Hi, I'm Jem Daduchu. I'm the host, and I'm going to take you on a journey. What are we doing this time round? Well, I think probably I'll just say biographies, because what's interesting is that the world of drama tends to like a good biography. And that means we can have a look at the problems of biographical movies in particular and then show you how it's exactly the same problem when we're looking at events from the past. I mean, you could argue that some of these biographies are from events from the past. I mean, they all have to have been from the past because otherwise they hadn't happened yet and it's not a biography. You just blew my mind. You take my point. There are ancient records that you have to approach exactly the same way as a Hollywood movie from today. And I find that really interesting, and I hope you do too. So without further ado, what is a biography and what's an autobiography? We'll start there. A biography is, first of all, it was a book written about a particular individual and their life's works. An autobiography is the same thing, only the individual themselves is writing it. And we'll come on to what that means later on, or the implications of what it means later on. But first of all, can I prove to you that Hollywood and dramas in general like a good biography? Ooh, I don't know. Let's have a look at the Oscars, shall we? Let's have a look at some of the greatest films ever created. Goodfellas is, of course, a gangster movie. As far back as I can remember, I always wanted to be a gangster. It's directed by Martin Scorsese, and it's considered one of the greatest Hollywood films ever created, and quite rightly too. It's brilliantly edited, directed, acted. The screenplay is sensational. But let's not forget, the story is about Henry Hill. The opening line is Henry talking about his motivations. And so Henry Hill, played by... Ray Liotta, who sadly died in 2022. This is absolutely a biography of an individual. Now, not a particularly nice individual. And if you like, because of all the gangster trappings and the fact that there are other remarkable performances in it, looking at Robert De Niro and Joe Pesci, I mean, 10 out of 10 to Ray Liotta to have to stand up to those guys and still be an important factor in the movie. Well done to everybody involved in that film. 
But yeah, people tend to think of that as a gangster flick rather than a biography. Another one that you might not necessarily think of as a biography is Schindler's List. I will be generations because of what you did. I didn't do enough. Again, it tends to be seen as a war film or a film about the Holocaust. And again, that's absolutely there and quite rightly too. And if you like, it's the Holocaust that makes Oscar Schindler so important. But... Liam Neeson gets nominated for an Oscar. Steven Spielberg wins Best Director and Best Picture for Schindler's List. Quite rightly too, by the way. And yes, it all hangs on the shoulders of Liam Neeson. By no means a newcomer to movies at that point. But you get a really powerful central performance. Although there can be no doubt that you get other powerful performances as well. Just like Goodfellas, there is just this sort of mixture of it isn't just about one person. Everybody is giving their all in that film, and quite rightly too, it's considered a, an absolute classic. And so you can see, you can you can go further back. You can go into the 70s and 60s and 50s. In the 50s, one of my favourite examples of this is Audie Murphy, who, if you don't know who he is, he's a highly decorated World War II soldier, American. He starred in a movie about himself doing all the things that kind of got him decorated and commended during World War II. And it's one of these things where you, you can't get more realistic than the man who was actually there. But because of the restrictions of what cinema could and couldn't show in those days, it looks more fake than something like Saving Private Ryan, which, of course, none of the actors were involved in World War II. Some of these events didn't even happen, but was there to tell the story about Saving Private Ryan. Audie Murphy is forced to go through the traumas of World War II again, only there's far less blood and swearing and so on and so forth. So it doesn't matter when you want to turn to. You, you've got silent movies. There's an exceptional one about Joan of Arc. The French did a multiple movies about Napoleon as well. Anytime you're looking at a, a figure and it's all sort of framed cent centrally with this one particular person, that's a biography, and yet you can see that some of them are musicals, some of them are comedies, most of them are dramas, but some of them are war films or gangster flicks, etc. Make no mistake about it, the biography is big business. And even in 2022, with the rise and rise of superhero movies, it's been a strange summer. Because the single biggest grossing movie is Top Gun Maverick, which is not a biography. He never existed, but it's at least refreshing to see somebody who's a human being, admittedly an almost impossibly good fighter pilot, but a human being doing things that a human could do, as opposed to just leaping tall buildings in a single bound, or x-ray vision, or I'm going to another dimension with magic. You get the idea. Top Gun Maverick compared to something like Doctor Strange 2 and the Multiverse of Madness, both of them came out within weeks of each other, are so different that Top Gun Maverick, by comparison, looks like a gritty documentary. What do we have here? I'm Doctor Stephen Strange. You are here at the request of Admiral Kazansky, AKA Iceman. He seems to think that you have something left to offer the Navy. Space, reality, power. What the hell kind of mission is this? Look, it's not overselling it to say that the fate of the universe is at stake. But another big film that came out in 22, the summer of, is Elvis. 
starring Austin Butler. Mr. Elvis Presley. And I'm going to put a sidebar here about something really weird. Austin Butler, I've been aware of for quite a long time, which is unusual because I'm a man at the wrong end of his 40s. And yeah, so what happened was Austin Butler set up a Twitter account. And at that time, he was best known for being in basically children and teen programming. And he was earning a decent living out of that, and people thought that he was a good, if not exceptional, actor around all this stuff. He's a very good-looking chap, and obviously he wanted to continue his career. He didn't just want it to end there, but that's what he was doing, and that's what he was known for when he set up his Twitter account and unaccountedly decided to follow my Twitter account. Okay. At that point, I every day was posting interesting history facts. Maybe Austin was into history, but he never really communicated with me. I, I've had one communication with him in all the time that he's followed me, and he's followed me for like seven, eight years. And when his Twitter account didn't work for him somehow, he moved to another account and told me about it and followed me again. And when I last checked it, because obviously now he is starring in the Elvis movie and people are going, wow, this guy can act. And I've been paying attention to his career and he's definitely been putting better and better, more meaty performances in. A lot of people don't realize that he's actually in the most recent Quentin Tarantino movie, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Uh, you are... I'm the devil. And I'm here to do the devil's business where he plays one of the invaders at the end of the movie. And, and you know, he's worked, so he's worked with Tarantino, now he's worked with Baz Luhrmann, and he has done an Elvis scene. Uh, you know, he has now been one of the many actors who's carried out being Elvis, and people think he's one of the best. Do I think that he's going to win the Oscar? Who knows? Who knows what else is going to come out and catch everybody's attention? It's a long time till the next Oscars, but I can think it's there's no doubt that he will be at least nominated for an Oscar on this. So that's an amazing achievement. But when I last checked, he has half a million followers and he is following 68 people. And I'm one of them. And I don't know why. I actually sent him a message once I realized that Elvis was coming out and sort of like sort of saying something nice to him. No reply. Nothing. I, <laughs> I don't know why he follows me. Thank you very much, Austin. If you ever hear this, thank you. It would be great if you could retweet something of mine out to your massive amounts of followers, perhaps a link to this particular podcast. That'd be great. But hey, look, if you just want to hear my ramblings. And the thing is, I don't do the history stuff anymore, really. I occasionally retweet interesting articles about history and I talk about my podcast and I talk about what Warhammer I've been painting this week. It kind of tickles me that there is this sort of now Hollywood heartthrob celebrity who might be sitting there going, Wow, I really like his zenithal highlight on those ash wasteland nomads there. Yeah, he's done a really good job with the contrast paints. Maybe he does, maybe he doesn't. I don't know. So in 2022, where we are clearly in the world of big budget superhero movies, there is still space for these biography films. And if you like, this is the thing that's changed. When I mentioned Goodfellas, that was a pretty big hit of the year 1990. And generally, these sort of high-profile movies for decades were this beautiful combination of Oscar-worthy films, you know, considered to be important cinema, 
and also stuff that makes a lot of money at the box office. It's worth remembering that the original Godfather not only won a load of Oscars, but also was number one at the box office, and at the time, not adjusting for inflation, was the biggest grossing movie of all time. The biggest grossing movie of all time, including inflation, is actually Gone with the Wind, another one that won a bunch of Oscars and clearly, obviously, cleaned up at the box office too. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. At some point, I'm going to do one about Gone with the Wind, which, of course, nowadays is a very problematic film, but we'll move on from that. So we've got this idea that we can have our cake and eat it too. Generally, if you look at something like Marvel movies, they make, in general, huge amounts of money at the box office, but they're never going to bother the Oscars. As I was saying at one point with somebody, when the third Thor movie came out, Thor Ragnarok, I said, look, it is great fun. It is a wonderful roller coaster ride, but I find it really hard to believe that in 20 years time, it's going to be held up as a cinematic masterpiece, held up as a way to do cinema, unlike something like The Godfather. And a response from somebody online is, well, you never know. You're, you're right. You, you never will know if there's sort of a, a nuclear war and wipes out every single film apart from Thor Ragnarok, then yes, it will be held up as the greatest movie in cinema history. I don't know. But yeah, in the past, you could have these prestige projects that could also take home a load of box office too. But what's been obvious because of the rise and rise of these great, and I, look, I do enjoy them, these superhero movies, and also the rise and rise of things like the streaming surfaces, that actually these Oscar-worthy type dramas are actually banking less and less at the box office. The Shape of Water, which ended up winning in the Oscars, is a great example of that. People liked it. I've ended up seeing it on a streaming service. But hey, it grossed $30 million at the box office. It didn't even cover its budget at the box office. It was a flop, which is something you would never have said about something like The Deer Hunter, for example. So, Austin Butler doing great in Elvis, and if you like, when I say biographies, I don't know about you, but the first thing I actually think about are these music movies. Things like, for example, Walk the Line, that's in the early 2000s. The story of Johnny Cash is, is what Walk the Line's all about. Hello, I'm Johnny Cash. And Joaquin Phoenix ends up getting Oscar nominated for that. And we get something like Rocket Man about Elton John starring Taron Egerton. Now that's an interesting one because unlike almost everything else I'm talking about here, Rocket Man, because it's about Elton John, it's an incredibly flamboyant, almost fairy tale story. There are moments which couldn't possibly have happened. And if you like, that's the point of Rocket Man. Taron Egerton, most people thought should have been nominated for an Oscar actually wasn't on that, that occasion, then you've got something like Ray, about Ray Charles. Fair enough. And that was starring Jamie Foxx, where he indeed won an Oscar for that performance. Then we've obviously got Elvis about Elvis. Some of these do run out of interesting names. But then we've got Bohemian Rhapsody, which is obviously the story of the band Queen. And Rami Malek did an amazing performance of Freddie Mercury. And yes, he won an Oscar for that. So some of these Pretty much everyone I've mentioned there were big box office hits and also did well at the Oscars. So it is possible to do both still, although quite often we're no longer in pure drama. It's also the music. Come along to see some drama 
but also come along to hear those tunes you really, really like. Get your foot tapping, all that good stuff. So in regards to that, I, I'm going to sort of home in because, look, I could be, I've already mentioned about 20 different movies and you do not want to sit here for seven hours as I painstakingly go through them. But particularly Walk the Line and Ray came out relatively close to each other in time and they had a remarkably similar structure to them. The way they told the story about these two rather different men dealing with two rather different types of music and yet sometimes it was almost interchangeable. Now, admittedly, both of them did come from a, a poor background. One of them was black and blind, the other one could see and was white, so they have a slight advantage in America. But the point is that they're both poor, they both struggle, the family sort of see their spirit, but is anybody going to pay attention to them? And then they get their breaks. And uh, then they have to start building their careers, but then there's the setback with uh, drugs and critics not quite getting what they do, but they manage to overcome the addictions, they manage to overcome their critics, they come back again and whoa, they're gonna show everybody in a big final great musical number. I could hear the whole tune in my head. It was all there, I could see all the notes and I just had to get it out. He was hit by a truck and you were lying out in that gutter dying and you had time to sing one song. If you want me to do something special, I'm gonna need my own band. I enjoyed the show. I also I write songs. Reginald Dwight. Reginald, that's my granddad's name. Get a haircut, buttercup. How you doing tonight? <laughs> no one will play us on the radio. In that moment, I watched that skinny boy transform into a superhero. Hello, I'm Johnny Cash. Mr. Elvis Presley. The innovator of soul, Ray Charles. We're all legends. It is similar if I move to Bohemian Rhapsody and Bohemian Rhapsody gets a lot of flack and quite rightly too, because look, sometimes they go through years and years and years. Sometimes it's, it's far less. So for example, in the case of Bohemian Rhapsody, they go up to Live Aid. So really they show you the first 10 years of Queen and there are various bits as we lead up to Live Aid, which is considered one of their greatest performances and is considered one of the greatest rock performances of all time. But <laughs> here's the thing about them is that a number of key moments definitely, definitely didn't happen. So one of the things we see early on in the movie is they, they got famous and they are then at a party and the rest of the band are all sitting there sort of like moaning at Freddy and it's not clear why they're complaining. It's like, it's a, it's a fun party. People are wearing costumes, but there's nothing weird about the, the party, loud music, etc. But they just go moaning about this. And that's because Queen's parties in the 1970s weren't just normal parties. They were these drug-fueled hedonistic three-day benders, basically. And 
part of the people who have agreed to make this movie are the remaining members of the band Queen, who know that if they show them basically partaking in this hedonistic activity, that might damage their reputations today. And even though it's on record that that's what happened in the 70s, and hey, it was the 70s, but then also making sure that it remains a 12 rating at PG-13 in America. You can't show that kind of stuff. And so what it looks like is a bunch of old men complaining to turn the noise down, which seems completely unreasonable and also isn't what actually happened. These are people now rewriting what happened in the past. Now, the bits that they didn't control, but they wanted, the, the makers of the film wanted with Bohemian Rhapsody, is the fact that A, the band had just split up just before Live Aid. So the question is, how are we going to get back together? And, you know, are we going to be able to perform very well? It's raising the stakes of that final, final performance. Can they do it? Now, that's not what happened. Well, first of all, Freddie Mercury at one point fires his manager because he suggests that he should have a solo career. Already members of the Queen band had already done solo activities, so Freddie was not the first to have done that. And then secondly, they didn't split up. They were always doing stuff together. One of the most controversial things about Queen were two things, one to do with America and one to do with South Africa. In America, when they did the song, I Want to Break Free, you do see this, to be fair, you do see this in the movie, but it isn't shown to the extent of the impact. Queen was huge in America. Then suddenly they're all dressed in drag. They suddenly all these guys are suddenly wearing girls' outfits. And suddenly all these white American males are going, oh, I'm not sure about these guys. The band's called Queen. Take a hint. Could you not work out Freddie Mercury was gay? Okay, fine. But the irony was they weren't dressing up to be subversive about sexuality or gender or anything like that because there's a tradition in Britain of men dressing up as women. Where there's pantomime every winter, we put on plays, and they're considered very child-friendly, and invariably there's the dame. The dame is a guy dressed up as a basically a middle-aged woman, very outrageously. Fabulous, nice to meet you all. Now my name is Dame Trot. And basically play. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. 
Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. It's with the audience. It's a comedy role. It's a very clever role. You've got, you got to be good at it. If you're good at it, the dame steals the entire thing. If the dame isn't very good, doesn't matter how, how good everything else is in the pantomime, it falls flat. So they are the absolute linchpin of it. That's what Queen was going for. America doesn't have pantomime and didn't get it at all. So it destroyed their record sales for years in America. You see it's bad, but it doesn't show you how bad it got. The other thing was, as I mentioned, South Africa. Queen decided to tour South Africa during the time of apartheid. They got heavily criticized for this. Lots of people were boycotting South Africa saying, until you start treating your black majority population as well as the white minority population, we're not gonna play sports there. We're not gonna play music there. In the case of Queen, their argument, I'm going to say naively was, we're not gonna get into politics. We're just going to give the fans what they want. Yes, but you are also kind of giving credibility to an uncredible regime there. So that got them into hot water. That is not even mentioned in the movie because again, it doesn't play well in the 21st century, even though that could have been the linchpin of like, can we make the comeback? Are people going to cheer us when we come onto stage? They could have done it that way, which would have been more realistic, more accurate, and would have just worked the same thematically, but it was too hot a topic for them to do. And then the last thing they do just before they go on is Freddie tells the band he's HIV positive, he's got AIDS. And that's an incredibly brave moment. It's incredibly touching where he actually finds out that he's HIV positive. And obviously to talk about this blight on the gay community, particularly prevalent in the 1980s when it was in essence a death sentence, powerful, powerful stuff. I think you're going to spot what I'm going to say next didn't happen. I mean, he did become HIV positive and they, he was discovered that and he did end up dying from HIV. But that happened after the big concert at Live Aid. He probably was positive by then, but he didn't know. There was never that conversation with the band before they walked out on stage. Now, the actual performance on stage is so close. I've actually watched the movie and also the actual video footage and it's really close, right down to the fact that they're using the slightly old Pepsi branding on the cups that was lying around all over the place. You know, it is, in some ways, it's incredibly realistic. You know, Rami Malek absolutely nails Freddie Mercury and absolutely nails the accent, considering he's American as well. He is phenomenal as Freddie Mercury, but that doesn't mean the whole thing is actually 
historically accurate, using a word, a phrase, I'll say, that isn't normally associated with things like biographies, but hopefully you take my point on that. So the world of biographies, the reality is, I mentioned they covered 10 years of Queen. So 10 years doesn't fit into two hours. It, it just doesn't. Or even worse, if we are talking about somebody like Henry Hill, where we're really going from his childhood up until he ends up being taken into police custody, we're talking about probably 20 years there. And yeah, again, entire lifetimes are sometimes summarized, be it Napoleon or whoever. You have to condense. And as soon as you start condensing, well, we don't need to know what they ate on Thursday for breakfast. But on the other hand, if all we do is show the high points, well, somebody has to pick the high points or the low points. And if they're condensed too closely together, it starts creating a false narrative. Human beings love being told stories. We love getting a beginning, middle and end. We love having a good guy and a bad guy. There are some who make me out to be the villain of this here story. And that's not how life works. But that's how you're going to have to make a biography work. And therefore, things are manipulated and moved around. And it's really fascinating to me how this stuff is utilized by screenwriters, basically. They're not bad people, but they're not historians, okay? They're not trying to get it 100% right. Whereas if you are doing a biography, as I've said before, Watch out for this. There's based on a true story and inspired by real events. Based on a true story basically means most of this happened. We may have condensed a few people. We certainly condensed time, but this is basically what happened from one point to another to another. And, you know, we haven't been outrageous with our making things up. We don't know what was said in this scene, but we've come up with a reasonable approximation. Inspired by real events means something happened and now this is how we interpret the whole thing. For example, World War II was a thing. The Germans invaded Poland. Now we're going to completely make up this guy called Maxim who lives in Poland. And, you know, Maxim never existed. Everything he did didn't happen because Maxim didn't exist. But yes, definitely the Germans did invade Poland in World War II, inspired by real events. Watch out for that. Be careful. And definitely some of these are more accurate than others or something like Rocket Man, wears its, its reality on its sleeve and basically sort of says, hey, look, this is a fairy tale. Come with us with a journey. You work out if any of this really happened or happened this way. And that I love about it. So with all that in mind, I'm now going to move into the history stuff. And you can see that this is a pretty easy segue on this occasion. I'm going to let you into a little secret now. Something that you already probably know, but you don't know how I did it. And that is, when you are lucky enough to go to university, most of us are idiots and take a degree that isn't going to help us in the real world. We actually need more engineers. We could actually do with people who do things like business degrees. We don't need people to do more English literature degrees. We already have enough writers and the ones that generally are good writers didn't need to do a degree on it, okay? What do you do with the BA in English? Now, please don't think that I'm going to, uh, I'm dissing anybody there with an English lit degree. I have a degree in archeology span and medieval history. And do you know how much that's helped me in my career? Not a lot. Yes, I do this podcast. Yes, I've written books. I'm literally a published historian. 
Do you think that's enough to pay for the mortgage on the house? Absolutely not. By day, I am a business trainer. And I do occasionally try and fit in for my basically my own amusement, little bits of history. But people like little bits of history, not entire lectures on history. But there we go. So no, those were three years that were really interesting and didn't really help me in the long term. Then you leave university. Full disclosure, I did actually apply for an MA. I got it confirmed. I was allowed to do it. It was on the later Crusades, post the fall of Arca in the 1290s. And I just decided I was fed up of eating baked beans on toast and I wanted to start earning some money, so I didn't do that MA. I digress. Then you start looking for a job and you then have to start filling out job applications. And the reality is I don't have any experience. I am a beginner. I am a graduate. I can't pay the bills yet because I have no skills yet. So what does everybody do, including me, is you say, oh, no, no, there are a lot of disciplines that I learned in my degree, like digging holes in the ground. I mean, literally, you have to do that in archaeology, okay? One point in my degree, I was in a lab coat. I was in a lab with about 20 other people, and it was ethnographic archaeology, and we literally had somebody there who's a flint napper, and we were banging two rocks together. And in my head at that time, it's like, I'm getting a degree for banging rocks together right now. Interesting side point on that, the flint napper shows you how sharp flint can be, actually misplaced one of his strikes and cut open the palm of his hand and had to go to casualty. He had to go to hospital and get multiple stitches. We were told to just keep continuing banging the rocks together and see how well we did. I digress. So, like everybody else, I don't really have business qualifications at that point, so therefore I turn around and say, well, you could use this from archaeology or that from history or whatever. We're all scratching at straws and really it's down to how good the interview is and how good your research on that particular company to try and prove that you understand what they at least do. That's a good hint. Since then, I have interviewed hundreds of graduates. I've seen thousands of CVs or resumes in America and... You can spot the good ones and bad ones from a mile off. The average ones are genuinely harder to do. They take more time to read, but you can spot a, a golden one and you can spot garbage a mile off. Absolutely. And the interviews can equally be hilarious. But here's the thing. At that time, I said that, you know, basically looking at different historical records and assessing their validity, what is true and what is not, was an important skill in the business world. And it isn't. Okay, or at least it wasn't, because I'm talking the mid-1990s here. But if you fast forward 10 years, or indeed if you fast forward 25 years, I think we could all probably do with going back to school and learning that bit again. Why am I saying that? Well, before I get into the biography bit, let's talk about social media. I discovered that more than 60% of under-25s in the UK get their news from Facebook. Now. I thought that meant going to things like the Facebook page for BBC News or Sky News or ITN or whatever it might be. I was wrong. Basically, it means something that looks like a news page on Facebook, they'll have a read of that. And we only need to see what's happened in America to realize that's really dangerous. Love it or hate it, the BBC does have to dictate 
facts and they do their absolute best to try and show this is one side of the argument this is the other side of the argument now you can argue that sometimes there is no other side of the argument but they try and be impartial and they actually have reporters out there reporting and discovering stuff and asking questions as opposed to a guy who runs a page called Patriot Thunder Eagle who's got a feeling about this particular governor of a state and just makes stuff up about them or just keeps asking ridiculous questions. Why haven't they talked about their murder record? That's a question, not a statement, so you can get away with that. And the reason why they haven't talked about their murder record is because they don't have one, okay? They also haven't talked about the time they tried to fill a bath full of jelly either, because that's not something that they've done. But if you phrase it a certain way, you can continue with free speech, and you can start spreading basically outright lies. And if there's one thing we need to be doing in the 21st century, is having that historical hat on and thinking about, I love this story, but is it coming from a valid source? Show this to your editor. Tell him to check his source next time. Whatever source, what is their angle? What is their bias? Now, I'm going to go back to uh, one of the podcasts I did probably about a month ago by the time this comes out. RRR. Now, in that one, I mentioned in passing, the British are the bad guys. And I then went on to say, do you know what, talking about the British Empire, it's complicated, it's nuanced, and this isn't a movie that's looking for complexity or nuance. Well, that's true. But the point is, if you're in India and you want to show somebody pushing against some bad guys, the British Empire's an easy thing to do. From their perspective, the British Empire is always the bad guys. And, you know, we're not going to talk about the fact that you invented the tea plantations and bring in billions every year to this day through tea exports and everything else. You know, things weren't just bad in those days. But that's the thing. There's a conversation to be had. We just want to appeal to a wider audience. Everybody in India just knows British Empire, that wasn't good. So let's make them the baddies on this occasion, even though there is literally nothing accurate about the depiction of the British Imperial forces in that movie, right down to the fact that they're wearing name tags, which is something you would never do on a British uniform, and the uniforms are all wrong too. I could go on and on, but that's not the point of the film. From an Indian point point of view, the British are always the bad guys, and that's that's fine. But you need to know that history to say why why are they picking on the British that much. You know, you actually have to have a little bit of of historical background on that. I joke with some of my American friends around about 4th of July. I am regularly asked in America, if I'm ever in America in July, round about that time, I'm asked, do you celebrate the 4th of July in Britain? And should we win the day, the 4th of July will no longer be known as an American holiday. Which, if you think about it for more than one second, if you know anything about the history of the 4th of July, well, we lost, so no, we're not going to celebrate that one. And it's the same thing when it comes to social media. Watch out. You know, be careful about what they're saying. And the great thing is, everybody wants hits, everybody wants clicks, everybody wants likes, everybody wants retweets, call it what you want, or whatever metric you want to measure it by. And you are not going to get loads of hits by saying, Here's a completely level-headed view on this complex issue shown from both sides. That's not punchy enough. Instead, it's sort of like, seven reasons why Boris Johnson was the worst prime minister ever. That'll get hits. Now, whatever your views are on Boris Johnson, 
unlikely to be the worst prime minister ever. It is worth remembering the first one, Robert Walpole. He came into power in the early 1700s. This is two generations before America worked out it want to be America. A lot's happened in those 300 years. So yeah, probably not the worst, but that's going to get the hit. That's who people are talking about at the moment. It's not going to be what's going to get the hits in, let's say, if you're listening to this podcast in 2032. Suppose this film were to be looked at by our descendants like a Dead Sea Scroll in a thousand years time. You might sit there and go, oh yeah, Boris Johnson, he was prime minister once, wasn't he? Anyway, I really hate the current incumbent of being prime minister or president or whoever. So yeah, that, that's my issue there. But the thing is now, if we look at real historical records, there is some very good reasons for this. So one of my favorite examples of this is the Gesta Stefani, the Book of Stephen. What's this, I hear you ask? Okay, so 1066, Battle of Hastings, William the Conqueror becomes King of England. Then he dies and his son, William II, becomes King of England. Then he dies and another son, the youngest son, Henry I, becomes King of England. You can spot a trend here. Henry's son dies in the White Ship disaster. Basically, he drowns in the English Channel. So he doesn't have a son to inherit the throne, but he's got a daughter, Matilda. They named her Matilda. And she's a very powerful, very pragmatic woman. And so on his deathbed, Henry says to all his barons, all his nobles and landowners going, look, I know I'm paraphrasing here. Look, I know she's a woman, but look, she's already had a son. So, you know, that's little Henry. He's going to grow up to become Henry II. So, you know, just deal with the woman for a few years, you know, maybe a decade and a half, and then you get a king again. So stick with Matilda. She's definitely my flesh and blood. And all the barons went, yeah, we'll definitely do that. And then he dies, and then pretty much half the country went, but she's a woman. So let's follow with somebody sort of in the family, this guy called Stephen over here. And so Stephen usurps the throne. He becomes king of England, and Matilda goes, what the what? Oh no, he didn't. You all said you were going to back me. And what happens is Stephen is the official king of England until he dies. He is king of England for about 20 years, but for pretty much all of that, he is in a constant civil war with Matilda. So at one point, one side gets better, another point, another side gets better. But what's interesting is because he was king, he wanted somebody to write down his interpretation of events, and that is the Gesta Stefani, the Book of Stephen. So whereas the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle, which was started under the time of Alfred the Great, this is right at the end of the 800s, it ran for like more than 300 years, it's a remarkable document, and it finishes at the reign of Stephen, and indeed there's a famous chapter saying it was as if Jesus Christ had left the country. It was in such bad state. Modern historians tend to call this period of civil war as the anarchy because it was that bad. So we get to see the bad side of Stephen, but Stephen made sure that he got his point of view out as well, which I find really, really interesting. And throughout history, I mean, I mentioned this with Shakespeare, you know, he's writing at a time when the Tudors are in power, and so he's not going to say anything bad about the Tudors, and he's certainly not going to say good things about the last Plantagenet ruler killed by Henry Tudor, which is Richard III, which is a complete hatchet job on him. So you need to understand not just what's written, but why was it written? 
It is so important. If you are writing in the court of a ruler, it is invariably going to show them in a good way, which means if they occasionally mention flaws of that person, pay attention to those, because that must be so well known about that particular person of power that they couldn't escape it in writing it down. My, my favorite example of where you have to read between the lines is there's this guy called Charlemagne, and he was crowned emperor of the Franks in, I love this, Christmas Day 800. Nobody's going to forget that date ever. He was crowned in, in Rome by the Pope, and it is explicitly written in his annals that had he known that he was going to be crowned emperor, he would not have gone to the church on that day. And every single early medieval historian agrees that actually the opposite is true. This was all planned by Charlemagne. He knew exactly what was going on and he really, really wanted to become emperor. Thank you very much. So that's where we've literally got it written one way and the best guess from historians, and it's a unanimous best guess, is the complete opposite of that. So I really sort of push this out there. If you're listening to this podcast, of course, this isn't an officially accredited podcast by any particular group. I'm going to have biases. If you like, my bias on this podcast is to try and be as equal as possible. I think there absolutely are merits of left-wing ideas. I think there's absolutely merits of right-wing ideas. But at some point, you're going to have to pick a side when you start voting. And I'm never going to reveal that to you because no matter which side I pick, I'm going to annoy, you know, probably 40% of, of people at least who also listen to this podcast. And that's not my point. My point is to be a unifier, not a divider. I don't understand why we have to build a ray gun to aim at a planet I never even heard of. Don't blame me. I voted for Kodos. That is my secret hidden agenda. But be careful, because other people out there aren't nearly as, I'm going to say, magnanimous, nice. Maybe I shouldn't call myself nice, but hopefully you get the idea. I'm just trying to be a good guy here. And so, yes, the wonderful world of biographies can be just as tainted as some of this hysterical alleged news on social media, but it does actually win Oscars, and some of it's highly entertaining. Not only the documentaries and biographies, but also some of this crazy news stuff as well. It can be fabulously entertaining, just don't believe it, okay? So, look, I'm at Jem Daduchu on Twitter. You can always reach out to me. I'd love to get your, hear your thoughts on this one. Really hope I haven't offended on this. Or, you know, if you want to know more information, then feel free to, to sort of reach out. I'm happy to discuss it. Please click subscribe. If you can give us a review, that would be brilliant. As always, there'll be another podcast coming soon. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. 
Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.